Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Small Talk podcast. My name is Katie Fairman, and this is actually my second go at recording this episode because the first audio file corrupted, so fun times. But I hope that you're doing well. I am currently all snuggled up. This is kind of a late night edition of Small Talk Podcast. It's Small Talk Podcast After Hours. It's nearly nine o'clock here in the UK and the Qatar Grand Prix finished about an hour ago. I'm snuggled up on the sofa. I've got an apple strudel with custard cooking in the oven as we speak. We're going for very wholesome, cozy vibes today. But we have just finished the Qatar Grand Prix, as I was saying, and there are a lot of storylines from this weekend as a whole that I thought, I want to jump on a podcast and have a chat with you guys about some of these. Obviously, we've got Max Verstappen, crown champion. But at the moment, I'm seeing on my timeline reports of drivers who have been severely ill after that Qatar Grand Prix. So we're going to dive into those kind of things. We're going to talk about McLaren, the Oscar Piastri masterclass that he put on this weekend, as well as a couple of other talking points. So if that sounds like something that you think, yep, sign me up, then good news for you. Keep listening to this podcast to have a listen. And without further ado, let's have ourselves a little tea break and get into the episode. Let's start today's episode talking about Max Verstappen and his third world championship that he achieved in the sprint on Saturday. Now, Max seems to be incapable of wrapping up a championship in normal fashion. Obviously, 2021, we had Abu Dhabi, which I'm not getting into on this podcast. Last year, he won his championship in Suzuka. If you remember, it was a real rain-soaked race and there was a lot of delays and there was confusion. Is it half points? Is it full points? And in the end, Johnny Herbert had to sort of tell him in Park Verme. And it was a very weird way to win your second title. Well, this week, weekend we knew kind of going into it that this was a possibility but Max wrapped it up after the sprint it was meant to be that he needed to finish I think it was three points ahead of Sergio Perez which seemed like very likely anyway but then it ended up sort of being awarded to him in the race because Sergio got involved in an incident with Hulkenberg and Ocon and All Max had to do is basically reach the checkered flag and he had got himself his third world championship. So a bit of a weird way to wrap up the third one, but there's no denying that Max now by having these three championships, especially consecutively, like that's so hard to do, has put him among some of Formula One's most elite drivers. Running through the list that I'm sure you've probably seen a lot so far this weekend, Max joins the like of Jackie Stewart, Nelson Piquet, Ayrton Senna, Nicky Lauda and Jack Brabham as being the owner of three titles. Then you've got Sebastian Vettel and Alain Prost on four, Juan Manuel Fangio on five, and then of course Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher up there on seven each. But we've talked about this plenty on the podcast, like we all know how dominant Max has been this season. This is a surprise to absolutely nobody. But I also think, although F1 can be a very individual sport, like at the end of the day, it's going to be Max's name on that championship trophy. But there are also lots of other people who really deserve the recognition for this championship. Obviously, there is a huge team of individuals that work at the factory or at the racetrack that we don't even get to hear from, from pit crews, mechanics, strategists but also people like Adrian Newey. I feel like sometimes he's somebody that doesn't get enough recognition for 
the incredible job that he does in Formula One. Um, at the beginning of the race, Sky spoke to him on the grid. He was there with his iconic red notebook, having a look at the McLaren, maybe trying to see what kind of uh, insights he can get there. But he said that he had won 25 Formula One championships, like he had been associated with those wins because he helped design the car. That's both drivers and constructors. And the guy is just an absolute magician. Like he, he really is one of the most incredible people in this sport. I find I would love to sit down with him for an interview or like just have an insight into how his brain works because he makes so many incredible machines. I mean, look how dominant that Red Bull has been this season. But there's also people like Christian Horner, love him or hate him. I know he's a bit like Marmite for people, but in my opinion, his consistency with that team, obviously he's been there since the start, is one of the reasons why Red Bull is as competitive as it is. When Franz Toss leaves at the end of the season, He's obviously the team principal at Scuderia Alpha Tauri. But when he departs, that means Christian Horner is going to be the longest serving team principal in Formula One. And I think having that consistency and that team manager position for so long is one of the reasons why Red Bull have been so dominant. And I mean, they're just two individuals. Obviously, you've got the fantastic Hannah Schmidt, who is in charge of the strategy. She does an amazing job. Like there are so many people that have gone into making Max into the champion that he is and being able to give him the car that he has but it's Max's name as I say that's going to be on the trophy and he has also driven fantastically this year he's had such a mature mindset about him I forget who it was it might have been Nico Rosberg that said it at the beginning oh no it was Adrian Newey he said that Max almost drives the car as if it looks like it's an automatic which is so true Um, So yeah, one of the biggest stories from this weekend is Max wrapping up his title. But there are also so many other headlines that I want to get through in this podcast episode. The first one is about track limits. And I don't know about you, but I am so bored about talking about track limits. I don't understand why this is still an issue even now. And you'll probably find that we'll be having the same conversations in Kota for the next race. It is just, in my opinion, so boring now. I don't understand how drivers can still abuse track limits. Maybe we need to look at adjusting the penalty system or something like that. Maybe three strikes and you're out and then a five second penalty is not enough to deter people. I mean, Perez managed to get two or three five-second penalties in that race. Perhaps we need to change them, maybe make them a 10-second penalty. Maybe we need to go as severe as a 10-second stop and go because these drivers, it seems that five seconds is not enough of a punishment for some of them, which seems crazy. I mean, Sergio Perez was told at one point, like, this is ruining our race, mate. Like, wrap it up, like, stop it. (laughs) And I know I'm talking like I'm some sort of professional driver, I mean, if I was driving, track limits wouldn't exist because I would be in the barriers after turn one. But it just seems that it just is happening again and again. And once again, going back to Nico Rosberg, who was with the Sky team this weekend, he was speaking to a representative from the FIA. And he was actually getting quite like, I really like Nico as a pundit because he does try and hold as many people as he can accountable. He was speaking to the FIA and he was like, what are you doing short term to fix this problem? Because this can't keep happening. You know, we're at the pinnacle of motorsport. And yet on Friday, when we had qualifying, we had Lando Norris have his lap time delete 
completed. So then he wasn't suddenly in the top three interviewees and Naomi Schiff got like, not flustered, she handled the situation very well, but I don't understand why nobody was in her rear saying, Lando had his app time deleted. So that we had no Lando. So then Oscar Piastri got promoted up to the top three and then midway through his interview, his lap time got deleted. Like we shouldn't be having this situation where drivers are in Park Ferme and they're finding out that their lap times have been deleted. It needs to be a more immediate system in my opinion and whether that is something that they have a massive overhaul with the kind of technology that's in the cars or how it's done like I'm not trying to say that I hold all the answers here but something needs to change because it can't keep working the way it is in my opinion whether they introduce um, more severe punishments if you do go over the track limits I know once again bringing it back to Mr Rosberg but he was saying maybe there needs to be gravel almost immediately to the side of the track I know there was a lot of gravel in Qatar we saw lots of people going through it like Fernando Alonso for example or Lawson Sargent was somebody who got beached in the sprint yesterday but maybe we need to introduce more gravel another thing that he said was like the kind of astroturf that they have in Paul Ricard you know the one which is like the red and blue stripes it looks almost quite hypnotic when you look at it from a distance but that is so abrasive that if you go over this uh like surface it will shred up your tires and maybe that's something that they need to introduce more widely at circuits because it can't keep happening in fact I'm looking at the FIA decision document now and this is a live reaction to the race deleted lap times there were in this race 51 deleted lap times and that's from the likes of Ocon, Joe, Gasly, Magnussen, Alonso, Russell, Bottas, Lawson, Albon, Perez, Piastri, Hulkenberg, Leclerc, who else is on there? Sonoda, Stroll, Sargent. There's just, that's just ridiculous, 51. And also, you've got to remember that they've had practice session, they've had qualifying, they have had <laughs> sprint shootout, the sprint, and now the actual Grand Prix, and they're still abusing track limits. It says here that the stewards, having received a report from the race director, have considered the following matter and determined the following that the cars below did not use the track at turns 1, 2, 4, 5, 12, 13, 14, 15 and 16. I mean, that's the, the whole track at this point. But anyway, you know, I can speak from experience here from the zero times I've driven a Formula 1 car. I mean, I can't say that it's it's a easy thing to not do because it probably isn't but I definitely think there needs to be stronger reprimands for people that abuse the track limits like this because you know like I said F1 is meant to be the pinnacle here and it's just not fair that we're getting time and time again the same issues of cars not being able to stick within the track okay I'm gonna go for a quick apple strudel break I guarantee you nobody's ever said that on a podcast before and I'll be back with you after I demolish this apple strudel and custard be right back Apple strudel secured. Elite dessert, by the way, especially when it comes to this autumn winter time. But anyway, we're talking about Formula One. Let's get on to the subject of Pirelli, because that was a drama in itself this weekend. 
So on Saturday, the FIA shared a statement that said that the tyres that Pirelli had been supplying, obviously Pirelli being the sole tyre supplier in Formula One, they were concerned about the structural integrity of their tyres, especially with the kind of curbing that we have in Qatar. They use a pyramid curb which is completely allowed under FIA standards. It's just something that's more regularly seen in motorcycle racing. In F1, we tend to have more sausage curbs. But like I say, the curbing itself was completely legal. The circuit, LaSalle circuit, is a grade one listed circuit in FIA standards, which means it's suitable to hold Formula One races. So there's no questions about it. There might be questions about if it's a suitable curbing in the future. But for now... Pirelli and the FIA had a look at these tyres and said that they were concerned basically about the tyre sidewall and that they were worried that there could be issues if the tyres were used in the standard ways with running them for, you know, X laps or whatever, that there could be complications. So therefore, the FIA issued some actions that they were going to be taking in response to this for safety grounds that was revising track limits it turns 12 and 13 for example they also added in this 10 minute practice familiarization session which was before the sprint shootout which affected the timetable for the weekend but basically the decision was had that they were going to mandate how many laps each tire should be run for before teams had to come in and change them as expected this completely through everybody's strategy plans out the window the poor strategists that have had sleepless nights thinking about different kind of strategies for this race just for it all to be ripped up and put through the shredder and like it was useless basically so there was a mandatory limit of 18 laps on total tire life per set and so that meant that if maybe you'd used a set of medium tires for something at some point over the weekend that would come off of the overall tire life for the race so say you had done three laps on a certain set of tires you'd only be able to do an additional 15 laps on that tire come Sunday's Grand Prix and this was the same for every single set of tires so whether they were soft medium or hards which I thought was quite an interesting one rather than have like I don't know you can do a max of 10 laps on the soft 15 on the medium 20 on the hard or whatever they set it as like a blanket rule for all tires now fortunately the FIA and Pirelli also communicated to the teams how many sets of laps were available for each used tire but then that also was given publicly so other teams could see how many laps were left on their rivals tires which is something that was like a whole new curveball that played into some team's hands and it was basically an advantage and a disadvantage for everybody but it was a rather unusual set of circumstances I can't really remember the last time that this sort of happened obviously there's mention of the US Grand Prix from several years ago where we had the Michelin and the Bridgestone situation where half well not even half the grid more than half the grid didn't compete and we had six cars taking to the final starting grid because these tires kept exploding but this was a big deal for Pirelli and especially as there are reports of when it's going to renew its um, contract and if it's going to renew its contract it's looking like they will for the moment but certainly not the 
press and PR that they would have wanted coming into the weekend. But as it turns out, it made for some interesting pit stops and strategies, like I say. Have to give a shout out to McLaren, who managed to do a 1.8 second stop for Lando Norris during the race, which went completely unnoticed on the commentary at the time. But that is such an incredible achievement. And yeah, like I say, hats off to McLaren for that. I mean, they generally had such a fantastic weekend. They obviously got the double podium for today's race, Sunday's race with Piastri in second, Lando in third. Oscar Piastri, I mean, what a weekend he's had. What a, well, what a rookie season in general. Not only did he manage to put his car P1 for the sprint, he managed to maintain that position when he had Max Verstappen breathing down his neck. It's a a tricky one to sort of define as a race win. And this is one of the reasons why I'm really not a fan of sprints, because although visually and like for an entertainment perspective, yes, yesterday's sprint was great. There was a lot of action in there. It's kind of, you know, calling him a winner, uh, like a race winner before Lando is, I guess, factually correct, because the sprint race is a race. But there is a difference between a sprint race, which is 100 kilometers, and then a Grand Prix distance, which is normally like 300 plus. And in my opinion, obviously, this is going to, nobody's ever going to know, right? Because it's not happened in reality. But I think it would be fairly safe to say that if that was a Grand Prix distance, Max Verstappen would have taken the victory away from Piastri. And so, yes, I guess for like bragging rights, which Oscar doesn't seem that way inclined at all. He's so mellow and mature and modest. I like, I really, really am loving seeing him in Formula One this season. He's such like a breath of fresh air. He's just so (laughs) chill. I love it. But yeah, in terms of if you want to say oh my god Oscar won something before Lando (laughs) like yes you're you're correct he did but at the same time is it a technically like can you count it as a race win like it's complicated you will know what I mean if you're listening to this podcast at least I hope you will but that still doesn't take away from the fact that Oscar did such an amazing job this weekend as did Norris you know they both had their uh, highlights of the weekend but McLaren in general like I'm really happy to see somebody else at the front I know they obviously had a very bumpy start to the season and it's nice to see teams being able to turn it around so much I'm sure if you're an Aston Martin or especially Fernando Alonso fan you may be a bit miffed that obviously they had such a strong start to the season and although Fernando is still putting his car up the front there it's not been quite the same level as seeing him on the podium almost like every weekend in the first few races but then I guess it's a good amount of copium for lots of other fans of other teams to think well you know All it takes is for a significant upgrade and then maybe Mercedes could be at the front fighting for those positions more regularly or Ferrari or I don't know, let's go with Alpine. Let's chuck Alpine in there. You know, Haas are bringing a massive upgrade in Cota. Who knows where that could put them? I mean, it's easy to say, oh, it won't have too much of an effect, but I guess we don't really know. But yes, McLaren, I have as a point down here to shout them out. Also want to dedicate a moment on the podcast to Alfa Romeo, who managed to to get a double points finish today which is a fantastic achievement for them and also moves them more importantly up in the standings as a result of Bottas finishing P8 and Joe finishing P9 which is an upgrade I didn't even realize he'd finished P9 he was P10 when the race finished but obviously there's been some moving around of the final standings but it means that they've jumped Haas in the constructor standing so they're now in P8 which is a significant jump for Alfred 
Romeo. And also, looking up them on social media, Guan Yu Zhou started P19 and went to P9. Like, what a shift that he put in today. Amazing job from him. And I'm hoping that I will be able to speak to him at the next Grand Prix. He will be, hopefully, one of the drivers that I get to interview at the moment that is all set and secure but I'm worried sometimes I'm worried if I say things and then they don't end up happening but keep your fingers crossed for me that that one will happen because I think that's going to be such an interesting chat I've also made a point on here to talk about Sergio Perez and his weekend because it wasn't a great weekend for him was it and let's be honest it's not been a great weekend for him for most of this season it's a really tricky situation for Sergio because he is undoubtedly fast. He's got an incredible amount of experience under his belt. You know, he surpassed that 250 Grand Prix start stat, which is not an easy thing to do. And despite all of that experience, he's proven himself as a race winner. He's proven himself to be an intelligent driver and it's just not working out for him. Whether it's that the car has been so heavily favoured over the course of the season to be suitable for Max, which I can see why Red Bull do it. It remains to be seen. Obviously, at the start of the season, he he started off really strongly, and that could be because the car setup was more equal for both Max and Sergio. But he is just having nightmare after nightmare, isn't he? And... I was listening to the P1 podcast yesterday. I went for a nice little stroll along the seafront and I was listening to Matt and Tommy in their P1 podcast. And they were saying, you know, what's going to happen to Sergio Perez realistically? I had a vision and I could see them keeping Sergio until the end of the season. I mean, at this rate, is he even going to get P2 in the Drivers' Championship? Like, I mean, I think a lot of this rests on if he gets P2. If he doesn't get P2, I think it's a definite bye-bye, which is, you know, maybe a difficult pill for certain people to swallow. But even if he does secure P2, which is the job that he's been signed on to do, I really think there is a chance that Helmut Marko is going to call him up as soon as the season finishes in Abu Dhabi and say, Checo, you're out, you're done, I'm afraid and put Liam Lawson in his place like I know that they've kept Liam as part of the Red Bull Academy and the Red Bull situation like he's going to be a reserve driver again for Alpha Tari next year because they've got the partnering of Sonoda and Ricardo for 2024 but with the hype that Liam Lawson is getting and the negative press the negative racing results that Sergio is getting I really could see that being a possibility. Let me know on social media if you think that also sounds like something that Helmut Marco and the Red Bull family generally could do because I don't want to pin the whole thing on Helmut Marco because obviously there's a lot of moving chess pieces in dropping a driver like that. But with the weekends and some of the racing standards that Sergio is putting on at the moment, it's really not looking good. And I know that he has a contract for 2024 at Red Bull, but contracts, you know, are clearly not anything that are in concrete for Red Bull because we've seen time and time again driver contracts be ended prematurely yeah just generally a a shocking weekend for Sergio and unfortunately one of many that he's experienced so far in especially the second half of the season but let's be honest it's been happening through the majority of the season for him My final points on the podcast today is the drivers and the conditions and the states that they are in getting out of the cars today. 
There's been no secret that Qatar has been extremely hot this weekend. We had drivers who were putting off doing track walks until as late in the evening as possible because they didn't want to go out in the midday sun. We had like 40, 41 degree temperatures. The humidity was unbelievable. Like generally, I'm very glad that I wasn't in Qatar this weekend because it seems to have been this hot, humid nightmare of a situation and we have several races on the calendar where we are racing in deserts and in the summer I mean I know Singapore is not in the desert in fact it's in the polar opposite it's in the middle of a very busy city but you know we have races on the calendar where it gets hot drivers are sweaty they're dehydrated after a race they lose so much weight in terms of sweat and everything like that However, today in Qatar seems to have taken it to another level and it really doesn't sit very well with me at all. The most visible example that we got of this during the race was with Logan Sargent. James Val said on the radio that he didn't show any symptoms of being poorly before he got in the car, but then that has been tweaked slightly where he said he was suffering from some, from some like flu-like symptoms earlier in the week. But Logan Sargent came on the radio and the poor boy sounded awful. He sounded super unwell. You know, sometimes when you can just hear from somebody's voice or their sort of mannerisms when they're speaking to you that like he just was not all there. He was not okay. And he was trying to power through, even though the team were kind enough to say, look, look, mate, just if you need to come in and stop, we'd so much rather you do that and put your health first. I mean, he was running in 18th at this point, which was last. So it's not like he was running in a point scoring position or anything like that, or had the opportunity to move further up the grid. And, you know, there was a chance of points, but still like, that's really nice and refreshing from Williams to sort of hear them say, come on, like, if you're not feeling it, just come in, mate, and we'll take care of you. But he wanted to power on through, which I have a lot of respect for Logan for doing that. Whether that was he's felt the pressure of late, obviously he's had a series of unfortunate events where his race has come to an end, whether that's through his own fault, there's been maybe a slight issue with the car. I mean, he managed to beach it in the gravel yesterday during the sprint. And lots of people have been saying that he doesn't deserve a seat next year. That remains to be seen. I mean, in my personal opinion, I feel like and I've thought this for a while, that maybe they were waiting until one of the US Grand Prix to announce his contract extension to sort of get that hype and that excitement built up. Um, you know, doing it ahead of an Austin race, what good PR there is for Williams. But we'll wait and see. But yeah, Logan was determined to carry on, but it got too much for him and he eventually came into the pits. I mean, what was really worrying is when he said like, guys, I'm going to come in. He then slowed the car down massively, which brought out temporary yellows, which is fair. And he was still very close to almost wiping out another one of the cars. But clearly it got to the point where he like just couldn't bring the car back back like in normal circumstances which for me is like seriously concerning but he eventually got himself back in one piece which I'm so glad to see and like we, we saw that he really struggled to get out of the car and I have to also give props to the mechanics the engineers the people at Williams who sort of formed a human barricade in front of the cameras that were trying to film him getting out of the car at that very vulnerable moment um, so well done to them because I think that was a really nice gesture 
But it wasn't just Logan. Apparently, Esteban Ocon threw up in his helmet, which just gives flashbacks to Mark Webber in Japan several years ago. If you have not heard that clip, the radio clip of Mark Webber throwing up in his helmet, if you want trauma, then go and listen to it, besties. But it is not pleasant. And apparently, Esteban has something similar on, I think he said around lap 17. But we had Charles Leclerc saying that he was struggling with visibility. In fact, let me get his quotes up while we record this podcast. Um, The amazing Tammy, who it goes, uh, Vettel Leclerc on Twitter or X, I would always recommend giving her a follow if you want updates for things like this. But she tweeted this from Leclerc. These are his quotes. Honestly, this is the toughest race by far that we have done in our career for three main reasons. One is obviously the heat. Second is the high speed corners. And three, which is the main reason, is having three mandatory pit stops, pushing quali laps after quali laps. At the point where you were asking yourself whether we should revise a little bit the amount of laps because we had a look at the end of the race where we were sitting down and resetting and we looked each other in the eyes and we could understand that some drivers were feeling really, really unwell. Physically, it's not like we are tired. I mean, the muscles are not that tired. It's the dehydration that is so bad. You lose so much water. The vision gets really bad towards the end of the race, especially in the high speed with the G-forces. The reflexes are also worse. This is what makes it harder. I mean, that is not okay. We cannot have drivers saying that. And like you said, it's not just himself You had the likes of Oscar Piastri literally having to lie down in the cool down room. Drivers are pouring bottles of water over themselves. There's a footage that I've seen online of Lance Stroll getting out of his car after the race in Parc Ferme. And not only does he take a long time to get out of the car, I mean... Obviously, if something was to go wrong and they needed to extract themselves, I'm sure that rush of adrenaline would have helped. But you've also got to consider these things like extraction tests. If drivers feel so physically unwell and faint that it takes them all this time to get out of the car, like that's not a position that we should be putting our drivers in for just doing their job, which is racing in a Grand Prix. In the clip, he eventually gets out of the car and then he sort of like stops looking like he almost wants to be sick he's like crouched over near his front left tire and then walks immediately into like the door and the window of the ambulance that's in Park Ferme but apparently three drivers have gone to the medical center and received medical treatment of their own accord but like I can say it a million times but it just really does not sit well with me that we're putting our drivers in these situations and I know that next year the race is going to be held six weeks later so hopefully it will be a lot cooler for them but things need to be done whether we can amend the amount of liquids that can be taken on board for these drivers I don't know obviously there's a set amount where I think it's one and a half litres that drivers are allowed to take on board. Let me just double check that. Yeah, it seems to be between one or two litres. But maybe that needs to be revised for racing in some of these hot countries and have like a minimum allowance so that it's fair for all drivers. Like you have to take on board three litres for a race like this. Obviously, the systems that are in place would have to be all the kind of same. It's not like they just plug in a Lucozade bottle and it's that easy you know they've got different systems in place for different teams so maybe that's not going to be a simple solution 
But for me, it just is not normal that we should be seeing drivers this unwell from just driving. And yes, the circuit is incredibly and you know physically demanding, but it's just a real sour end for me for this Grand Prix. So things need to be looked into. Whether the FIA even launch an investigation, I don't know. Hopefully the drivers will come together and maybe there'll be a statement from the GDPA, which is the Grand Prix Drivers Association. I don't know, remains to be seen. I'm just glad that all of them managed to get to the end of the race or somewhere near the end of the race and were like, okay. I just hope they're getting enough rest and um, they'll be back fighting fit for Kota in a couple of weeks' time because it is not good enough. I know that's quite the dampener on what has been a rather ranty podcast, but nonetheless, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Like I say, it was pretty impromptu and I have actually got an idea for the next podcast, which I need your help with. I have set up an email address for this podcast. It is smalltalkpodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. That's smalltalkpodcast at gmail.com. It'll also be in the description of this podcast episode. But I want you to email me with any questions you might have, whatever you want. Let me know in the email if you want a shout out. If you do, put all your social media and we'll give you a little cheeky shout out on the podcast. Or if you'd rather it be anonymous then let me know that as well but I thought it could be quite a fun idea to do like a mailbox type episode so if that sounds like something that you want to get involved in if you've got a question for me head over and send me an email to that address and we'll go through some of them on the very next episode thank you so much for listening don't forget to rate the podcast five stars if you are enjoying it and share it with your mates and all that good stuff and I will see you in the very next episode have a wonderful week ahead guys love you lots and I'll speak to you soon bye